Chapter Twenty Three of the Second Latchkey. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Katie Gibbony. The Second Latchkey by Charles Norris and Alice Muriel Williamson. Chapter Twenty Three: The Thin Wall. How dared he buy a ticket for me all the way to Texas? Ansley asked herself. But I might have known how it would be, she thought. Why expect a man like him to keep a promise? Yet she had expected it. She constantly found herself expecting to find truth and greatness in the man who was a thief, who had been a thief for half his life. It was strange. But everything about him was strange, and stranger than the rest was his silent power over all who came near him, even over herself, who knew now what he was. It would seem that after his confession there would be no further room for disappointment concerning his character. Yet she was disappointed that his plan, on which she had been counting, had been nothing more original than to break his word and see what she would do. After luncheon, when the Waldos and Masons became absorbed for a few minutes in talk, she turned a look on her husband. I saw the tickets, she said. Did you? he returned, pretending, as she thought, not to understand. You bought one for me to Texas. Of course. Did you think I wouldn't? That would have been poor economy in the game we've been playing. It was her turn to show that she was puzzled. What do you mean? You never cared to talk things over. I saw you didn't want to, so I didn't press. And when this complication about the Waldos came up, I thought, perhaps I was mistaken, that you trusted me to do the best I could. Yes, that's why I expected you not to get me a ticket to Texas. How far did you expect me to get it? I don't know. That's just it. Neither did I know. I got the whole ticket, so you might choose your stopping place. Oh! Ansley was ashamed, though she was sure she had no need to be. That was why. That was why. Things being as they are, it was well I had your ticket to show with mine, wasn't it? I suppose so, but... What am I to do? We'll talk of that in the train. There won't be time before, because of these people, and because I must leave you for two hours before the train goes. Leave me? Ansley echoed the words blankly, then hoped that he had not noticed the dismay in her tone. You will be all right with the Waldos and their friends. I'll explain to them. There's no time to lose. I must go off at once. Ansley was pricked with curiosity to know why and where he must go. She would not ask. But while he was away, and she was being whirled through the park along Riverside Drive at lightning speed, to see New York in a hurry, her thoughts were with her husband, imagining fantastic things. My mind is like a ghost, she thought bitterly, haunting what once it loved. It seems doomed to follow wherever he goes, whatever he does. But it will be different when we're parted. I shall escape in soul and body. I shall have my own life to live. That wonderful Italian house, Mrs. Waldo was saying, as the taxi slowed down for one of her lectures, is Paul Van Vreck's New York home. They say it's a museum from garret to cellar. Not that there is a garret, and I believe it's a copy of some palazzo in Venice. It's shut up now. Perhaps he's in Florida or Egypt, where he. But look, somebody's coming out. Why, Mrs. Nelson Smith, it's your husband. Shall we stop? No, let's drive on, Ansley begged anxiously. My husband knows Mr. Van Vreck. They have business together. He won't want us. 
The taxi was allowed to go to the next place of interest. Ensley had flung herself back in the seat, but she was not sure that Knight hadn't seen her. She knew what powers of observation his quiet, almost lazy manner could hide. This chance meeting took place on the way to the Grand Central Station, where they met the Masons, and were joined almost at the last moment by Knight, just as Ansley had begun to wonder if, after all, he were not coming. He was as calm as though there were no haste, and said he had been delayed in collecting the luggage from the ship. He had a good deal to say about that luggage, and what with thanks to the Waldos for books and flowers and chocolates, and their kindness to Ansley, Mrs. Waldo, with the best intentions, found no chance to mention Paul Van Vreck. Ansley had not meant to refer to him, though seeing Knight come out of his shut-up house had given her a shivering sense of mystery. But when the train had started, Knight came to the door of her stateroom. "'There are one or two things I should like to speak to you about, if you don't mind,' he said in the kind yet distant manner which had replaced the old lover-like way when they were alone together. "'Come in,' she replied, and added, lowering her voice, "'Mr. and Mrs. Mason are next door.' "'They are too much in love to be thinking about us, or listening,' he answered, and Ansley imagined a ring of bitterness in his tone. "'I've come to talk over plans, but before we begin I want to explain something. Once you made a guess in connection with Paul Van Vreck. Probably you think that what you saw confirms it. Of course, the Waldos were telling you whose house it was, and as luck would have it, I came out at that instant. Whether there was anything in your guess or not doesn't matter.' You're too sensible to mention it to anyone except me, but I can't have you torturing yourself with the idea that such dealings as you imagine with Van Vreck are still going on, if they ever did go on. Because I have faith in your discretion, and because I owe it to you, I'm going to explain why I went to Van Vreck's house this afternoon, why I was obliged to go. I knew he would have got back from Florida. I hear from him sometimes, and I had to tell him that any business I'd ever done for him was done for the last time, because I was going to settle down to ranch life in Texas. Also, I handed to him the Malindor diamond. His firm lost it. His firm has by this time been paid the insurance. It's up to him how to dispose of the property. That's all I have to say about Van Vreck. I thought in fairness you ought to know that I didn't keep the diamond. "'and I thought I might tell you that my call at Van Vreck's "'didn't mean entering any new deal.' "'Thank you,' Ansley said stiffly. "'I am glad.' "'She was glad, yet she wished the man to understand "'how impersonal was her gladness, "'how impossible it was that any atonement "'could bring them together again in spirit, "'how dead was the past which he had slain. "'And he did understand as clearly from her few words "'as if she had preached him an hour's sermon. "'Now, for what you are to do,' he went on crisply, Although you and I never discussed the situation on board ship, I realized what the Waldos were letting you in for. I supposed you'd feel that your staying in New York was out of the question. I bought our tickets to Texas. At the same time, I got a map and a guidebook which gives information about places on the way and beyond. The Masons being on the train to Kansas City was a new complication, but it wasn't my fault, and it only means that the game of keeping up appearances must be played a little farther." "'Would you like to go to California? "'If you want to take back your maiden name and be Miss Grail, "'or if you care to have a new name to begin a new life with, "'a quite respectable fellow called Michael Donaldson "'could introduce you to a few influential people in Los Angeles. 
No danger of meeting Madalena de Santiago there, though it's only a day's journey from San Francisco, where she's very likely arrived by this time. She has reasons for not liking Los Angeles. In her early days she had some, er, financial troubles there, and she wouldn't enjoy being reminded of them. "'Is Los Angeles farther than El Paso?' Ansley inquired, keeping her voice steady, though there was a sickly chill in her heart. "'A good way farther,' Knight went on, in the same business-like tone, which separated him thousands of miles from the night she used to know. "'Here, I'll show you how the land lies.' Opening a map of a western railroad, he drew a little closer to her on the seat, and pointed out place after place along the black line, told her when they would arrive in Kansas City, and how they would go on without change to Albuquerque. There, he said, he must take another train for El Paso, and from El Paso he must go a distance of twenty miles to the ranch, which lay close to the border of Mexico, on the Rio Grande. "'But you,' he said quietly, "'you can keep straight along in the train we'll get into at Chicago till you come to Los Angeles. "'There'll be time in Chicago to buy your ticket to California, and I can write letters of introduction. "'They'll be to good people. You needn't be afraid.' "'Yet Ansley was afraid, deathly afraid. "'Not that Knight's friends would not be good people, but of going on alone to an unknown place in an unknown country. "'It would not have been so terrible, she thought, to have stayed in New York.' if only the Waldos hadn't interfered, but to have this man, who, after all, was her one link with the old world, get out of the train which was hurling them through space, and leave her to go on alone, that was a fearful thing. She could not face the thought, at least not yet. Perhaps she would feel more courageous tomorrow. On the ship she had slept little. Her nerves felt like violin strings, stretched too tight, stretched to the point of breaking." "'Does that plan suit you, as well as any other?' Knight was asking. "'I can't decide yet,' the girl answered, and to keep tears back seemed the most important thing just then. "'It doesn't matter, does it, as I must go on past Kansas City?' "'No, it doesn't matter,' Knight agreed. "'You've plenty of time. I suppose you'd like me to leave you now, to rest till dinner-time? Here's the guidebook. You might care to look it over.' But when he had gone, Ansley let the book lie unopened on the seat. She was very tired. She could not think far ahead. Her mind would occupy itself with the features of the journey, not with her own affairs. Everything was strange and new. Even the train was wonderful. She had thought, in the immense station, that the cars looked like a procession of splendidly built bungalows, each painted a different color, and having brightly polished metal balconies at the end. And inside, the car was still like a bungalow, or perhaps a houseboat, with neat little paneled rooms opening all the way down a long aisle. The coffee-colored porter and maid were delightful. They smiled at her kindly, and when they smiled it seemed sadder than ever not to be happy. The Masons' talk at dinner was disconcerting. They took it for granted that she and Knight were an adoring newly married couple like themselves. Ansley was thankful to escape and to go to bed in her little paneled room. "'Tomorrow, when I'm rested, things will be easier,' she told herself. But tomorrow came, and she was not rested, for again she had not slept. In Chicago there were hours to wait before train time. The Masons proposed taking a motor-car to see the sights, and lunching together at a famous Chinese restaurant. At a sign from her, Knight consented. It was better to be with the Masons than with him alone. After luncheon, however, Knight drew her aside. "'What about Los Angeles?' he inquired. "'Have you decided?' Ansley felt incapable of deciding anything, and her unhappy face betrayed her state of mind. 
"'If you'd rather think it over longer,' he said, "'I can buy your ticket at Albuquerque.' "'Very well,' Ansley replied. She did not remember where Albuquerque was, though Knight had pointed it out on the map, and she did not care to remember. All she wanted was not to decide then. Knight turned away without speaking, but there was a look, almost, of hope in his eyes. Things could not be what they had been, yet they were better than they might be. At Kansas City the Masons bade the Nelson Smiths good-bye, and from that moment the Nelson Smiths ceased to exist. There were no initials on their luggage. The man kept to his own stateroom. Ansley, alone next door, had plenty of books to read, parting gifts from the Waldos, but the most engrossing novel ever written could not have held her attention. The landscape changed kaleidoscopically. She wondered when they would arrive at Albuquerque, wondered, yet did not want to know. "'Would you rather go to the dining-car alone, or have me take you?' Knight came to ask. "'It's better to go together, or people may think it strange,' she said. Even as she spoke she wondered at herself, the Masons having gone, the other travellers, strangers whom they would not meet again, were not of much importance. Yet she let her words pass, and at dinner that evening she forced herself to ask, "'Do we get to Albuquerque to-night?' "'Not till to-morrow forenoon,' Knight informed her casually. He feared for a moment that she might say she could not wait so long before making up her mind." but she only looked startled, opened her lips as if to speak, and closed them again. Next day there were no more apple orchards and flat or rolling meadowlands. The train had brought them into another world, a world unlike anything that Ansley had seen before. At the stations were flat-faced, half-breed Indians and Mexicans, some poorly clad, others gaily dressed, with big straw hats painted with flowers and green leggings laced with faded gold. In the distance were hills and mountains, and the train ran through stretches of red desert, sprinkled with rough grass, or cleft with river beds, where golden sands, played over by winds, were ruffled into little waves. Toward noon Knight showed himself at the open door of the stateroom. "'We'll be in Albuquerque before long now,' he announced. "'That's where I change, you know, for Texas.' The train stops for a while, and I can get your ticket for Los Angeles. Those letters of introduction I told you about already. I've left a blank for your name. I suppose you've made up your mind what you want to do? Some people with handbags pushed past, and Knight had to step into the room to avoid them. The moment, long delayed, was upon her. Ansley remembered how she had put off deciding whether or not to sail for America with Knight. Now a still more formidable decision was before her and had to be faced. She glanced up at the tall, standing figure. Knight was not looking at her. His eyes were on the desert landscape, flying past the windows. "'What I want to do,' she echoed. "'There's nothing in this world that I want to do.' Then, and Knight did not take his eyes from the window, "'Why not drift?' "'Drift?' "'Yes, to Texas.' "'Oh, I know. I asked you that before, and you said you wouldn't.' "'But hasn't destiny decided? "'Would it have sent you these thousands of miles with me "'unless it meant you to fight it out on those lines? "'You've traveled far enough, side by side with me, "'to learn that a man and a woman, "'with only a thin wall between them, "'can be as far apart as if they were separated by a continent. "'Now, this minute, you've got to decide. "'It isn't I who tell you so. "'It's fate. "'Will you go on alone from the place we're coming to? "'Or will you try the thin wall?' End of chapter 23